Brain Buster Boys are brought to you by Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Getting this interview was a big curveball because like I remember um, first, I think it was one morning I was at work and I was scrolling through uh, Twitter just lackadaisically and I saw NBA Jam the um, the book and I was on the Twitter account and I was like, what's this? And I clicked that and I scrolled through. I was like, this is pretty cool. Like your posts like that, follow, follow back. And then, you know, in a, a few hours later, I was just like, Hey, this guy seems really cool message. Hey, you know, Hail Mary, you want to come on our show? And here we are. <laughs> now we're here. Now we're making it happen. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. I think, you know, that's one of the things I enjoy about, like, the weird concept of an NBA Jam book is that somebody is going to be scrolling on Twitter and be like, why in the world is there an NBA Jam book of such a weird concept that I was always hoping to be like, you know, the people that that get it, they'll see it and they'll be like, NBA Jam book, why? And then they'll see, oh, wait a minute, this is a whole thing. And then it ended up being, like, the longest book in uh, the series that it's in. So it's like, I not only have the sports game concept, but I somehow have the longest book to go with it, too. Well, and like, you know, and I was talking to Brett earlier about like, you know, there's some zeitgeist in this and um, like imagine a Venn diagram, if you will. And this is what I got walking away from reading your book, Rayon, is, um, you know, one circle is 90s NBA. And from our perspective and our listeners and what we do, another circle is 90s WWF. This sensibility lies somewhere in the middle. You know, and like, you know, there's some sort of zeitgeist that Jermel and company was just able to tap in between those two things to like make this thing that's so enduring. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's just what like enraptured me about it, man. You know? Yeah. Oh, man. And I love 90s WWF, too. I have like a couple more stories relating to WrestleMania, the arcade game that I didn't put in the book. You guys ever want to get to that in the interview? Oh, too, we'll so. get into that. I figure towards the end, we'll definitely get a little bit more into the wrestling side. I'm all, I'm all about the wrestling. Yeah. yeah. You ready? Let's do it. Buster Boys, episode 55. My name is Brett Jagger, along with Beaumont Rand. Boom shakalaka. Buddy, I know you are fired up for this one. Your discovery. I'm on fire. You are on fire. Boom shakalaka. Boom shakalaka. Doing my best Tim Kitzrow for you. That's right. Our guest today is an author from Columbus, Ohio. He has been published by Wired, Rolling Stone, Spin, The Atlantic, Pacific Standard, and all weekly papers across the country. He was born in Dallas, but grew up in Karachi, Pakistan, where he soaked up 90s NBA action almost exclusively through trading cards, Beckett basketball back issues, 
and NBA Jam Tournament Edition on the Sega Mega Drive. And his first writing gig was contributing to the Mortal Kombat Nether Realm, a fan site long lost to time. But he is the author of NBA Jam the Book, which is what we're going to be talking most about today. Rayon Ali, welcome to the Brain Buster Boys. Thanks for coming on. Boom shakalaka. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, I'm psyched. What a great intro. Thank you. Oh, well, um, hey, so well, I, we pulled it from your books. You did. <laughs> no, it was more like the delivery. No, 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 no. I didn't mean just, I, no, 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 no. I meant more like the delivery. It's just like the the, the, the vibes of the delivery. Like got me hyped up. I'm like, well, yeah, thanks. it is cool. I forgot about some of that stuff. Yeah, like, pulling yeah. my best Tim Kitts row here. No, he's <laughs> heating up. He's pretty uh, good we were just chit-chatting before this and already oh, yeah, kind of yeah. getting ready and we're excited but uh yeah so Bo was just saying you know we found you on twitter nba jam the book we're both product we're 90s kids we're both born in the late 80s so i think anyone of our generation is certainly intrigued by that so and i was a big player both um of the coin op and the uh, snes console home editions so, yeah, yeah, you know, I was a big NBA jam player. You know, I have a lot Same. of, like, friends and family members who, you know, not only play with me, but are excited that, you know, we're talking to you. I, um, you know, talked about talked your book up with them. So, cool stuff. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. We will yeah. be getting into. But, hey, just curious, growing up yeah. in Pakistan, how were you drawn to NBA Jam? You know, I guess NBA initially and then the game NBA Jam and then beyond that, what really kind of inspired you to start this project, writing this book? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Let me let me rewind a little bit to give a little bit of backstory on me. And Please. then this will lead into into these. The dominoes will fall. Yes, um, yes. So, yeah. So like you said, I was born in Texas. Um, my dad's Pakistani um, and my mom is a white American lady named Sarah. And so, so my uh, parents had this kind of like culture clash thing going on uh, as they as they got married. So they, they were married for a little bit. They split up when I was little. I ended up moving over to Pakistan to live with my dad. My mom was over in the states, um, and she would send me stuff from time to time. That's going to come back to play in a minute. Um, but in terms of actually finding about the NBA, uh, there was a comic book that my uncle got me uh, from this market. So it was a market where you can get kind of like older comic books, like pretty much like for a lower rate, you can get all these ones that come in. You get all kinds of weird stuff. Like you'll get like some American stuff, some random British stuff, all kinds of random stuff. Um, but I remember that in particular, there's an issue of Superboy that had an ad for NBA Jam Tournament Edition on the back of it. And I had never uh, honestly ever even heard of the NBA. At this point, I was probably like nine, maybe 10. That's kind of weird to not have heard of it at that point. I really liked the MLB, funny enough, because I, I, knew, I remember that from when I was growing up in the States. But the NBA never appealed to me or anything like that. But this one ad in particular, I wish I had a copy of it. Um, I think I just posted on Twitter a couple of days ago is it's just like, it says, now you're on fire and it's got this NBA, this ball going, you know, the ball on fire coming through the page. And I'm like, wow, this looks so cool. And it's got the, the little bios, not the bios, the little headshots at the bottom of a few of the teams. Like there's six teams over there. And I remember the, the colors, the, con the contrast on the ad was super turned up. So like the sun's colors of their logo really popped. Like the Seattle Supersonics logo looked really cool. I think the Rockets logo was on there. That looked awesome. And I didn't know anything about these teams, but I was like, wow, this ad looks really cool. This, this game looks pretty cool. Um, and I was definitely, I used to play games as a kid. I uh, started out with a Super Nintendo. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to say Super Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo. And which my dad actually got at a Tom Thumb grocery store 
or an Albertsons is one of those just to go show you how far back it was where you can buy consoles at the grocery store. Yeah, that's different era. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna go get some milk. I'm gonna get some, you know, I'm gonna get some cheese, and I'm gonna get an NES. Um, <laughs> so my dad did that at one point. But yeah, I grew up with the NES, um, and then when I moved to Pakistan, I got a Sega Mega Drive, which is the UK equivalent of the Sega Genesis. And, you know, I was definitely like into, you know, I still love video games, but I wasn't like super crazy about sports games and never appealed to me or anything like that. But then this NBA Jam looked so cool on the back of this comic book. I was like, I got to check it out. And I, I got it. And I was like, wow, this game is awesome. Basketball is awesome. And, you know, it was weird. I just thought in my head, like, this is what basketball should be. Like, isn't this how basketball is played? Like, you know, back and <laughs> forth, like everything was really fast. Yeah fouls all the time constantly constantly just chucking up threes i was like basketball is awesome um so from there i had my aunt or not my aunt my mom who uh, lived in the states she would uh send me things she would send me like packages of basketball cards like upper deck tops whatever she could get she'd get um illustrate um issues of sports illustrated for kids she'd get you know other pop culture things like game pro and disney adventures things like that she sent that over but you know, I started off with just really enjoying NBA Jam and liking the idea of it. And then I started collecting cards that my mom would send over. And I love the NBA, but this is like, this was like 95, 96 or so that I was really into it. And this is pre-internet. Like we got internet pretty early in Pakistan, actually. I got it like 97, 98, which was pretty awesome. But at that point, like there was no access to NBA there at all. Like now you can just go on your phone wherever you are in the world. Oh, find out basketball scores, watch some clips, whatever. Back then, all you would get is like one clip they'd play at the end of a CNN broadcast. Like we'd get cable from different from different areas. It's interesting. Like you got like a mix of like some American stuff that would filter through, some stuff from the from the UAE, some stuff from uh, from England and Europe would filter through, but like almost no basketball. All you get wow. is like one clip. Yeah, but I was still like, man, this is so cool. So I would like really get into the idea of basketball it's really strange in retrospect when you think about it but it's like when you're really into it you're into it so it's like collecting basketball cards and all i knew about the players was their stats on the back of their cards and i knew the players from top to bottom but most of them i'd never seen play because there was no basketball that was showing over there um now kids did like to play basketball like recreationally you play basketball for fun but nobody cared about the nba i love the nba all my friends were like into cricket which is number one over there some are into football uh, soccer over, or, you know, soccer over here, football over there, you know, different things, but nobody's really into basketball. Like they wouldn't know Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan is that big, but nobody had ever been that big into basketball. Um, but even then, like there's something about the fact that like I couldn't watch those games. They got me more hooked. I was like, wow, yeah. I can't watch this. I have to kind of extrapolate like how would this person play? Um, so over time, wherever I could, I would get like basketball cards. I found a couple of uh, toy shops in Karachi where they would actually sell basketball cards. And I get it like once a month and it was just the biggest thing ever. It's like, oh my God, I got some basketball cards. Um, and I go through, I still have a box down over here. Funny enough, because we're talking about it, complete coincidence, but I still have, which an uh, uncle of mine from uh, Texas, he came over to Pakistan and brought this over. I've got a full set of like 96, wow. 97 upper yeah. deck. Yeah. Oh, wow. A full box. Is that, pe- is that Penny on the cover? Looks like Penny. it, yeah. Is it Penny? It's Penny and Michael Jordan and Penny little Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> Yeah, Memphis uh, coach Penny Hardaway. You know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, it's weird how like Penny's the, the big image on this, but Michael's tiny. Should it be? Yeah, it right? doesn't doesn't um, make oh, sense. Oh, oh also, yeah, they, that would yeah. not sit well with like Last Dance era Michael Jordan. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah, and also he like would, little he Penny would take that Penny. personally for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Much. <laughs> so 
yeah, but I know I love the NBA growing up and only got to watch it bits and pieces. Um, when I would visit my mom uh, in the States from Pakistan, like this was in the late 90s at this point, I remember picking up like a NBA Jam Session tape at Toys R Us. And I was like, this is awesome. And that was, I think, the first time I ever heard rap music was on an NBA Jam Session tape. Um, this stuff's like so Stone Age of like, but you know, it's a different era before the internet. It's where For it's like sure. you had limited access to, to stuff like this. And especially um, in Pakistan and not in the States. You know, exactly, I can't imagine yeah. rap music is too big over there. It was not. It definitely <laughs> was not. No, yeah. no. And I mean, the kind of music that I fell in love with later, I would talk to my Pakistani friends about, like, I used to love punk rock. Um, still do. But, like, none of them really knew any of the bands. Like, it's like, oh, one guy heard of, like, MXPX or something. But, like, nobody knew any of those bands. Um, and it was the same thing with rap music. Um, but yeah, I just love the idea of the NBA. And then from there, um, so like I was saying, it's really hard to get basketball uh, videos or any kind of footage, but you can get games. So like, that's how I got into like, you know, NBA Jam Tournament Edition. I started with NBA Jam Tournament Edition, then I got NBA Jam. Then I got NBA Live 95, which expanded me even more. I had that one. Yep. Yeah, I, 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 I went very NBA Live, you know, once PlayStation became a thing. Yeah. Know. Yeah, I had, yeah, I had the NBA. I think Live '95 on Super Nintendo. I believe it was. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, classics. Yeah, and there was um, and then you know all the the midway ones that came later on. I got those too. So like, mm-hmm. you know, um, NBA. I'm not sure I actually got to play NBA Hangtime when it came out, but I definitely played NBA Showtime, uh, NBA Hoops, um, other ones here and there. Mm-hmm. So then, cut to 2001. Um, I ended up moving back to the states to live with my mom. Like I spent my first part of my life with my dad. Then I decided that I was going to move back to the states and live with my mom. So at that point, I wasn't super into basketball. It's funny how that happens. Like you know, you're really into something when you can't get it. I'm back over here. I didn't end up going to see an actual game in person until like 2014, maybe all those. Oh years wow! Ago. So yeah, long yeah. time. Yeah, wow. Long time. But I still loved NBA Jam. And then to go along with all this, I especially loved Midway. Um, of course, they made NBA Jam, and I um, so around the same time that I like the NBA, like and uh, you know basketball in general, I really loved Mortal Kombat. So I worked on a Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. website. That was my first ever writing gig, like you said, when I was I think twelve or thirteen. Um, <laughs> nice. My, my buddy no, no, man, right oh man, I was um, Sub Zero, Scorpion, and Reptile for three years in a row at Halloween, man. And then Shao Kahn <laughs> one year. That like, is somehow awesome. somebody did that. No, I was all about it, man. I didn't even know that. I knew you loved Mortal Kombat, but that is yeah, uh, news yeah. to me. Love it. That, that is it. awesome. Yeah, part of that. Yeah. I, I love Mortal Kombat. So from Mortal Kombat, I started recognizing like I was really into Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. and this is like in the MIRC days. And like the chat room yeah. days of like yeah. trying to trying to get information that way. This is before uh, Deadly Alliance came out. So this would have been like all late 90s. So after Mortal Kombat set, uh, 4 in 97 through um, through like Deadly Alliance, which I think was 2002, it came out. Anyways, I knew a lot of the Midway guys' names because I was really into the scene and then really into like just like going through the credits, like, you know, when you hardcore geek out or something. And then by proxy, I also knew a lot of the NBA Jam guys and I recognized them like they'd show up in the credits of other Midway games. And of course, I recognized them as secret characters, too. Um, so that was like that was where it all started for me with the love of NBA Jam. And, um, you know, I can get more into the writing, but kind of fast forwarding on the subject of NBA Jam. Um, you know, I've been writing for many years. I um, was, you know, at one point I had like freelance for like. I don't know how many places, like 40 or 50 places, like some ridiculous number where I was just like trying to get out there as much as I could doing all kinds of different stuff. Um, you know, it all started with Mortal Kombat, but I was doing like nonfiction pieces about all kinds of things. Um, you know, I worked for, I worked for all weeklies all over the place. 
um, like, you know, OC Weekly in Orange County. At the same time, Miami New Times uh, in Miami. At the same time, New Haven Advocate in Connecticut. Cincinnati City Beat in Cincinnati. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's yeah. A, a, a home. Yeah, I, I yeah. In, my- I'm in North Newport, Kentucky. So there, right there across you go. the Yeah, river, I saw so. that. Yeah. So like I was as soon as I saw Covington, I was like, there you yeah. go. Yeah, that uh, publication is still still around and thriving. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. They they were my first art weekly I wrote for. This was back in 2008, I think. So it was just fresh out of college. Um, yeah, like for a long while, if you ever like find an old issue, not that you're ever gonna like stumble upon an old issue since <laughs> seem to be, but in the event that you ever like found like one from like 2011 through 14, and you go to yeah. like masthead in the front. Like where it says all the regular writers, like my name would be there. Um, they were awesome, such a good paper. And like the editor over there was a dude named Mike Green, who was always amazing to me. Yeah, Thanks yeah, I know that. I know that name. I, I never met him. But yeah, yeah, the music editor is such a good dude. I did all kinds of stuff for Cincinnati City Beat. Um, anyways, like I did like you know bigger things like Complex Magazine. I wrote for their website and for Rolling Stone site for Spin Magazine, all these different places, like you said. And I really want to do something more substantial. Like I was talking to all kinds of cool people. Um, you know, I did lots of musicians, like pretty much like when a musician would come to town, I'd preview them um, or I'd preview the show coming and I'd write like a little thing. And, you know, or I do like an interview for about like a pop culture kind of thing. Uh, did a lot of WWE wrestlers, funny enough. First one I did on that front was uh, I did Miz back in 2008. Or okay. when he was coming to Columbus oh, wow. That's yeah. Long before he got famous for sure. Yeah. 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 When he and, was still just a chick magnet with John yeah. Morrison. Actually, you know what? No, it was 2010. So just from the real world, like, right, you know. Right. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. that's when he won the money in the bank, 2010. Yeah. This and might have he, been yeah. Before, yeah. before he won okay. the money exactly in the bank during our, our seminal Greg Goldman moment. Yeah. yeah. Correct. But yeah, yeah that's that, that's neither here nor there. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, no, no. Podcast um, of him. But right. yeah, let's see. Yeah, so I used to do like WWE interviews all the time. I remember doing, um, you know, I did like Dean Ambrose. Or John Moxley now. Yeah, Cincinnati um, guy, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in the news, Cesaro. I did talk to Cesaro when he was at WWE. Um, he just left. He just left today. It just I saw that. Out. And it was yeah. kind of a bummer, but also kind of like it makes sense. Like, I don't feel like there's a whole lot more he can do over there. Like, No, he's, he's been held down there. He needs to be yeah. in New Japan or AEW or somewhere where he can actually wrestle. Yeah, and, and uh, he's realistically kind of hit his, his ceiling in WWE, unfortunately, which is sad. But, you know, I just kind of like going even more off the beaten path. I'm a big wrestling dude, like I said, uh, especially like 90s wrestling. And I used to go see him uh, in Dayton, Ohio uh, at ROA shows, at Ring of Honor shows. Okay. So I used to see him. Um, I remember there was one time it was Claudio Castagnoli, Cesaro versus Davey Richards. And he actually like jumped in, like, you know, I think uh, Davey Richards like dived into the crowd and he actually hit my girlfriend, like knocked her out. Not oh, no. like knocked out unconscious, yeah, but like yeah. hit her off the stair. Uh, yeah. It was the coolest thing ever. And she had like this big bruise on her butt, but the whole crowd like clapped for her and Davey Richards raised her hand. And it's, it's like immortalized in an old ROH DVD out there. I'll have but to it was, find like, that. Oh my God. I, yeah. I forget the name of the event. Tom will love that. Yeah. yeah. But Tom it was in Dayton. It was yeah. in Dayton. I'll it be able to Dayton. I'll track it, it down. Yeah, yeah. This would have been like 2010 or so. And it was a Claudio Castanoli versus Davey Richards match. And there's yeah, one time yeah. when he dives out to the crowd and like, you can briefly see my, uh, see my girlfriend over there and I was like raising her hand and it was like the coolest thing ever like she took this like you know getting hit straight on by Davey Richards coming through the crowd you know old RH they don't care like they'll just come on through um, <laughs> yeah and I remember seeing uh, seeing Brian Danielson's like uh, his last show in Dayton uh, during his ROH run which was amazing too like hearing final countdown in the crowd so you um, you are a, you are a wrestling I'm, fan I'm into it I'm into it dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew I'm it I'm telling you based on 
Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say just based on the DMs, I thought you were maybe just a '90s guy, but you clearly uh, super. Yeah, that. no, 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 definitely. Yeah, there's there's appearance when I drop in and out. Um, like early 2000s WWE. Like weirdly, like I was really into like basketball uh, and WWE at the same time or WWF at the same time, and I kind of lost like kind of like lost interest in both of them at the same time in like the early 2000s. I don't know why. You know, you just like go in and out of phases. Sure. Um, sure. But like early 2000s WWE, like my not my knowledge isn't the same thing. But like around when I started getting back into it, around like 2008, when it admittedly honestly wasn't even that great. Like that was like. You know, like, I got back in in 2009 from like 01 yeah. to 09. I was out of it. And then yeah. I got back in in early 2009. So and, and, I, missed, and, I missed some good stuff. But and, yeah. and I got back in for the podcast. You know, I'm kind of sort of the outside viewer, you know, and all this stuff. So I kind of keep myself like relatively uneducated about it. So I can kind of keep a, you know, have like a sort Absolutely. of a different perspective on it. A different um, perspective. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah that, that's kind of the fun that we have in our dynamics. So. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of my initial idea for the podcast is like, we've been friends and talking about doing something and I'm a crazy diehard wrestling fan. And he was, I knew he liked it as a kid. Sure. So I'm like, well, do you want to try a wrestling podcast? And we've certainly gone in all sorts of different directions. And now we're here talking to you. So oh, clearly awesome. we, we have sidetracked yeah. a lot here, yeah. but the book. Oh, wait. Yes. Wait, let me, I'm going to watch me, watch me swing it right back over. You're good. Back over. All right. Yeah. I yeah, remember yeah. where I stopped. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Circling back. Yeah, so I got to say just one more uh, WWE guy I got to talk to, which was really cool, cool. Uh, was Jim Johnston, the guy who does the music, the music, yeah, which yeah. was amazing. That was cool talking to him. Um, but yeah, anyways, you know, I, for years I was doing <laughs> freelance writing and, you know, I was doing all these small stories. I talked to lots of cool people, but it wasn't anything substantial. And then at some point, like the freelancing money was really rough. Like you don't get like it's, you know, you don't get paid much anyways. And it's not tax at all. So April is like the worst time of the year. So I was just kind of like done with like doing my, my regular contributing for a while. And I was like, I really like to do a book, something substantial. And then I found this publisher. I think I found them in 2013, maybe, um, maybe 14 called Boss Fight Books. And their whole idea is that they do uh, individual books based on individual video games. So they'll do one book about Super Mario Brothers 2 by one author, another one about Super Mario Brothers 3 by a separate author. They'll do a Galaga book by a totally separate author beyond that, World of Warcraft, all kinds of different subjects. So at this point, I've been writing for a long time and really wanted to do something more substantial. And I've heard about Boss Fight Books. They had an open call for pitches, which they still do, which is awesome. And it's so rare to find an opportunity like that. And I was like, man, I would really love to write a book and do something that isn't just like, you know, just like one page. Like I want to really get into something. And I was like, what could I write about? And I was thinking back, like, what would have a really good story? What's something that people would expect, but not, might not expect? Like, what's something I've got familiarity with, the passion for to really go in like I would want to? And then I thought about it and I was like, oh, NBA Jam. It's got to be NBA Jam. Like, I love Mortal Kombat with it, but with NBA Jam, you get to open it up with all the sports aspects and get to talk to all these potential people involved um, on the NBA side. That was really cool to me. So I wrote this whole what, Sorry, what year, just curious, what year was this when you kind of like came up with this idea? Yeah, yeah. So this would have been early 2015. Okay. Um, and I pitched it to them and I went way overboard. Like I was like, this is like, this has got to be the thing. So I, you know, most people would write like maybe eight to 10 pages would be a good, a good healthy pitch at Boss Five Books. I did 37 pages. Like I went all in. I pretty much wrote the book before I wrote the book. Like I even had like, the cover is going to be a basketball on fire, which is kind of like a gimme with NBA sure. But still putting it on the page adds to the whole, uh, the dynamic of it. So yeah, I, I sent over this pitch 
And they're like, we'll get back to you in like two months. I was like, okay, cool. And then I hear them say, we'll get back to you within a month. I was like, that's going to be a good sign, right? Either it's like, they'll say yes, or they'll say no, and I'll find out sooner. And then they're like, okay, we'll get back to you within three weeks. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. So then I, you know, I talked to the uh, publisher editor over there named Gabe Durham, very good dude. And, uh, you know, he kind of quizzed me, he did some like kind of some, some checking on my background and whatnot, trying to get an idea of how serious I am. And then he was like, yeah, you want to do it? You want to write a book? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to write a book about NBA Jam. And this is 2015. I'm like, wow, what am I going to do? Like, this is a lot. Like, I just signed up for this whole thing. And I was like, it's going to take me like a year, maybe two years. And then by 2017, I was like, I still got a, I still have a long way to go. I was like, it's going to be another year. So be, oh, okay. Then it turns out to be 2018. And then finally came out in 2019. Um, so there was a lot of life lived between 2015 and 2019, but overall I spent, yeah, four years cumulatively working on the book, did 68 interviews for it. We you know, went down all kinds of weird rabbit holes of like old Usenet posts and old uh, GamePro magazines, all that stuff. Uh, but it was a really fun journey because like, otherwise, like you're not going to spend four years, like just deep diving into NBA jam. Um, so it was a really cool opportunity. And that all kind of brings us back to like where we are today. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, one of the questions I was going to ask was how long this took you to, you know, from start to finish. So, yeah, yeah. It was one of those things, too, is like, I'm like, you know, you could do I could have, you know, I did 68 interviews, which was like pretty over the top in some ways where I was like, I remember getting to like 30 interviews and being like, this is pretty good. But how much like, you know, I feel like I got to keep going. And then when I hit 50 interviews, I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't imagine anybody's doing 50 interviews for other books in the series. And I yep. imagine the variety of interviews you did too, you know, like from game developers to like Shaq, you know, Absolutely. like kind of, kind of what, yeah. what were the differences in like the processes of like, you know, talking to those people, getting that kind of access. Uh... Yeah, that's a great question. So it started off with, so I remember the first interview I did, or one of the first was with uh, these developers of Arch Rivals, this old game from Midway that preceded. Uh, the old Midway before it was the, the NBA GM company. It's kind of, they kind of got a convoluted history. Um, but I remember speaking to them when I was originally kind of, you know, feeling things out, like how much of the story is there? Who can I talk to? And they pointed me in a couple of directions. Um, so I started off with game developers and game journalists. Actually, you know, I come to think that my very first one was with uh, Johnny Ballgame from Game Pro Magazine. So he was like the sports guy Game Pro in the 90s. So I was like, I got to start with him. But yeah, I did game journalists, game developers, I did people who uh, were motion captured for the game the guy, like the guy who was actually in the studio uh, when NBA Jam was being made on the blue screen, um, you know, fans involved in the game, you know, important people at Midway. Um, I really wanted to go from like top to bottom because I think what's interesting about a story of like NBA Jam, really any of these stories is like, I don't want to just hear of like, here's the top level, how we made everything, you know, how much money we made this, that. I want to hear also about how it impacted like some dude in Kentucky uh, like Randolph Vance, uh, who I yeah. talked about, in the book, who wrote the, the guide for the book, the, you know, the first or the guide for the game, like the first strategy guide for the game. He and uh, his friend Greg Henderson worked on it. So I really was like interested in like going from top to bottom. So I get, got, went all kinds of weird directions. Like I managed to get DJ Jazzy Jeff pretty early on, which was awesome. Um, I got um, George. He, he loved being well. in the game. Yeah, he loved it. He, yeah. he was just crazy about it. Yeah. Um, and what's funny is that he was like a sim guy too. Like he was like an NBA live guy, but just the idea of being in a basketball game was so sweet to him that he was just psyched about that. Um, yeah, I did, um, you know, different game developers, of course, the whole, you know, all the midway guys, the entire NBA jam team, but then I also did John Romero, 
uh, who co-created Doom and Quake uh, and Wolfenstein 3D to try to get a like, different perspective. Because with NBA Jam, like we're talking about Venn diagrams, like to me that what NBA, makes NBA Jam so special is like you've got the basketball, you know, you've got the kind of video game side just in general with the Super Nintendo stuff and the Sega Genesis stuff. But then you've also got specifically that arcade stuff, which is really cool. Um, and like, and then also Chicago, like all these different things that come together to make this one story so, so cool. So I really wanted to like go all in because like there's an NBA Jam fan, me too, that wanted to know all this info. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of work to do all of that. And I transcribed every single one of them, um, which uh, took a long time. And like some of them were like 15, 20 minutes. And then when I talked to Tim Kitzrow, like I, one time he talked to me for like two and a half hours. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> so dude, I love I mentioned to you I worked in sports media relations, so I've transcribed numerous press conferences. And hell, I mean, a thirty-minute one is long, so I can't oh imagine God. two and a half hours. Like, yeah, how long did two and a half hours take you to transcribe? Like four or five? Oh, it took me way longer than that because yeah. I would just get bored or stuff. Yeah, I guess you're like, not going to do I'm it all give up on this. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I just, I, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't handle it at a certain point because even though as much as you know, I liked hearing Tim's voice. Like just stopping it, rewinding, stopping, it, rewinding. It's, it it's an arduous process for someone. Oh, who's I can never imagine. It yeah. yeah, it really yeah, is. I can yeah. imagine. It's a, sure. it's a lot, but yeah, like you know, Mark Tremell, uh, the lead designer on the game, I did ten interviews with him. Um, so like, you know, I started off by just doing one where he got to know me, and then by interview number ten, I was asking him super granular details that, like, okay, how long was your hair? How tall are you? Things like that. Like just trying to really get into like the nitty gritty for the details of the book at that point. Um, so that was part of the fun process too, is like starting off being like, I'm gonna write an NBA Jam book, but I only know a little bit. And then by the end, I realized that I didn't know nearly as much about NBA Jam as I thought I did when I started. Yeah, and, and like talking about Mark Termel specifically, you know, as I got to that third chapter, you know, you almost kind of position him as sort of your protagonist, you know, coming from a fiction writer's perspective, you know. And so um, from that perspective, what really like, intrigued you like about him to put him at the center of this story you know of not just NBA Jam but Midway yeah so Tremel's an amazing character um so if you haven't uh you know if you're not familiar with Mark Tremel a fan google Mark Tremel NBA Jam you might recognize the face with his long hair mm -hmm. um from back in the 90s he was uh, just a really interesting character because I would see him you know as a kid mentioned in other midway games so he was clearly somebody who was important and then you know seeing him as a secret character in bhgm also kind of piqued my interest he was like one of the first ones him and sal devita that i was just like oh this is an interesting guy um but then as i got to know the story of nba jam and learn more about termel and how you know he grew up in michigan loving basketball and then having to one point decide between you know doing computer programming in high school or going on the basketball team in high school i'm like wow that's amazing. Like, this is the origin story of NBA Jam, like, you know, 10 years before he was even at Midway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, there's all these different elements over there. And Tremel's like a really interesting character. Um, I've heard him described a little bit as Willy Wonka. So he's like kind of like larger than life in some ways. Uh, he will like give you a little bit of an extra story. Like, you can't 100% believe everything he says. And I, you know, this isn't a, like a, anything against Tremel, but he just loves, he loves uh, to tell a good story. Like, the idea of like, you know, you know, what do you want, the truth or a good story? You know, oh. you want a good story. That's what yeah. Tremel is. Well, and, and, you've seen and, the movie and, Big Fish? Well, and, yeah, that reminds me of Big Fish. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Bill. And hyperbole is part of NBA Jam. You know, hyperbole, hyperbole is crucial to the DNA of it, of, you know, Absolutely. like jumping up, flipping in a basketball, catching on fire, you know. So, like, that, like, that, like, is very much downstream from the person you 
described in the book. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, he just had all these cool details. Like he was making $10,000 a month in royalty checks back in the eighties, you know, programming computer games at home in Michigan, sending them off over to, to a place in California and they'd send them back a royalty check. And now nowadays, like building your, you know, writing your own game at home, like it's still cool, but it's definitely not the same. And back then it's like, whoa, like you're writing computer games and you're doing it, you know, in Michigan. Like it's just a weird concept of like, there's this kid in a basement who's making $10,000 a month in the early 80s selling games to serious software over in California. So, you know, he loved arcade games too. So, you know, there's that passion of arcade games that I was like, man, like when somebody loves Defender, like the way Jermel loved Defender and loved Robotron the way that he loved that. Like this guy's going to be a great subject for actually giving me the dirt on some of these things that actually went into the game itself. So, um, yeah, there's all these different things. And then, you know, knowing later on that he was so involved in WWF WrestleMania, Smash TV, NFL Blitz, all that stuff, excuse me, all that stuff made me think like, I want to go back in time and see like, who was this person before all this? Like who, how do you get to the point where you're making these ridiculous games and making tons of money, you know, making arcade games. Um, so Tremel was like, you know, he was always in my head originally it was kind of an ensemble book, but then Tremel was quickly like the guy. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's what hooked me. Like kind of, I think it was the, the third chapter when he was introduced and I was like, all right, yeah. like, you know, yeah. very situated behind the, behind this person. And, uh, you know, as we said, like his personality and who he was sort of like extends and becomes this game. Almost. And I love, though, how you mentioned the DNA being a hyperbole that you mentioned the dunks and the on fire. And I remember, like, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but those were like two things that other people didn't want that he mm-hmm. kind of stuck his neck out like, no, it has to be these flip dunks and the on fire. So, like, truly sticking to his vision. And then everyone else kind of ended up getting it once they saw it. So yeah. he must have been, you know pretty awesome you know like he was he was yeah like a a great dude and someone you want to be around who can kind of inspire the team you know absolutely absolutely and he was one of those people who just loved video games and knew that he wanted to dedicate his life to games and you know it's crazy to think that you know he's he's still in the industry um he's at zynga i think right now um who makes mobile games i think they got bought out by like one of the big companies um forget who they got bought out by recently but they just got bought out um oh it was a rock star or take two one of the take two bought out zynga anyways so this is somebody who's been in the video game business since like you're just talking about like five pixels on the screen you yeah. know pong yeah. atari 2600 all the way up until the point where he's making mobile games and he's in the business right now so i'm like i know there's a lot of life lived in there and yeah he loves the idea of arcade games and he's definitely would stick to his guns on stuff like that and be like you know, we're not making a sim game over here. Like, you don't go to the arcade to play a sim game. You go to the arcade to play an arcade game. And that's the kind of stuff that really needs to pop. Because, you know, in the same way of, like, mobile games, you've got, like, a few seconds pretty much to keep people's interest. Because mm-hmm. if the game isn't any good, you know, you'll just stop playing it. It'll just sit on your phone or you'll uninstall mm-hmm. it. Same thing with an arcade game. If it isn't really good, then you're just going to move on and they'll go do something else. There's another game over there. You know, go have a drink, go do whatever. And Tremel really took that philosophy to heart with how he made his games and i think that was one of the reasons it's so successful and that he's so successful today making mobile games yeah excellent i mean so you sure. you talk to a bunch of people who aside from termel you know who were uh, some of your favorite people to talk to in this process Ooh, that's a good and your favorite nba player to talk yeah. to i guess two-parter here yeah let's see um so f- uh, favorite people to talk to definitely termel and tim kitzrow 
um, the announcer of NBA Jam. With Tim, it was a little bit different because with Mark Tremell, you've got somebody who's got all this amazing success and, oh, my God, that's so cool. $10,000 a month as a teenager. You know, you're driving all these fancy cars. You've got this customized license plate. You made like a million bucks at one point when NBA Jam came out. It's like, wow, look at this amazing success. And then Tim, on the other hand, is somebody who's kind of an unsung hero. Like he didn't make nearly as much money off of NBA Jam. You know, he made like, um, I think it was like around a thousand bucks for voicing the original. Yeah, NBA that Jam. was very surprising. Yeah, it's yeah. like Crazy. he's yeah. such an icon of the game. Icon. Yeah. 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 And so being able to talk to him and get into his story was fun because it's a different, like a different path of like, not just all successes, all these highs, all this great stuff, but more like, here's somebody who really had to bust his ass, do X, Y, and Z to get here. And then he didn't even, you know, he became iconic with NBA Jam, but even then he's still hustling. He still had to go back to work. He was being, a, he was a waiter in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he waited tables for years, even while he was the voice of NBA Jam. So he was somebody I really enjoyed getting to know. Um, and uh, then Sal DeVito was also on the team. Really liked talking to him. Otherwise, yeah, DJ Jazzy Jeff was a huge blast because that was one of the first ones I did. And that was one where I really understood how much people love NBA Jam. Because at that point, you know, my name doesn't have any value. Boss Fight Books has limited value as a brand. Like if you're in the video game business, maybe you know him. But it's NBA Jam that's doing all the heavy lifting here to get me to talk to DJ Jazzy Jeff. And the fact that he was so enthusiastic about it and had such good stories made me realize just how much potential there is in the story of NBA Jam. Um, so he was a blast. I got a to George Clinton from Parliament Funkadelic. Yeah. Which was, which was wild. Yeah. Which was one of those where it's like, I'm just going to shoot my shot. Um, and I didn't think it was going to happen, but then it happened. I was like, whoa. That's awesome. Talking yeah. to George Clinton about NBA Jam, who has never played NBA Jam in his life. <laughs> and yeah, he's never played it, but he's like, he's familiar with it. And, you know, he told me, you know, very earnestly, very sincerely, he said, you know, my grandkids played it. And they told me my hair is on fire in the game. And, you know, I didn't have the heart to correct him. I mean, like, this is Mr. P-Funk. I'm not going to tell him, like, it's not your hair that's on fire, it's the ball. But it's still, like, really cool to hear, you know, this is what George Clinton thinks of NBA Jam. Um, so he was a blast, too. And um, and then, you know, the another one that comes to mind is Randolph Vance, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, who was the fan who wrote the first strategy guide for NBA Jam. And that, for me, was for, like, the video game fan of, like, what was it like in the early 90s in arcades in the States? Because I was growing up in Pakistan where we had some arcades, but it was totally different. Um, like you always get like, you only get a handful of games, you get sure. late games, never NBA jam, almost no licensed games like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really cool to hear that perspective and like, really like get into the nostalgia of like, you know, you know, what I'm talking about like that carpet with mm-hmm. like the, you know, the, the, the pizza place kind of carpet and like smoky, you know, like smoky room back when you could smoke out, Oh yeah, um, smoke cigarettes and, you know, just the whole arcade vibe. I love that stuff. I eat that stuff up. I still like, you know, that's, I'm all in about that. Um, and then on the player side, um, you know, it was amazing talking to Shaq. So I got, yeah. you know, I can't you even know, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like getting access to that? Like, 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 how do you go? About oh my it? gosh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've got a fun story to go with this one yeah. too. Excellent. Yeah. 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 So, um, I was like, I'm going to shoot my shot. Right. Like I shot my shot with all these different people who I didn't get. Like, and you made it, you made a lot of them though. I made clearly. a lot of them. I made enough of them that we've got a whole story over here and it's this whole thing. Yeah. But, you know, I tried like Macaulay Culkin who I mentioned very brief in the book and I got a no, but it was still cool to get a call from his agent. And uh, she said, you know, Oh, uh, you know, Mac would rather not talk, but you know, we appreciate the interest. So I was like, oh, wow. 
yeah, I was like, Mac, I had no idea. Mac he does a lot of internet shows. He's done like red letter media stuff that I like. Yeah, you know? he does yeah, some yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. just yeah. popped up. I don't know if either of you watched The Righteous Gemstones. He was just in on HBO. He was just in this last episode, like completely randomly. And he still That's looks awesome. exactly, he still looks exactly yes. the same. And his yeah. brother's making um, bank on succession, you know? So he yeah. Going yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, they're like, you know, I, I tried Jimmy Fallon, who was a huge NBA Jam fan. Um, like all these different people from different walks of life. And the same thing went with players. Like, you know, I tried Scottie Pippen um, and they were like, oh, maybe we'll get back to you. But then they didn't. Um, you know, I tried Muggsy Bogues. Maybe I'll get back to you. Maybe they won't. Um, you know, I tried all these different people. And then eventually I managed to uh, find a, get a contact at TNT um, who I was like, uh, you know, I, first I asked for. Yeah, I think I first asked for Barkley. And it was a no. Um, and then maybe I asked for who else was on there from NBA? Oh, Kenny, Kenny, Kenny Smith. Smith. I'm not sure. I, Kenny I'm not sure I asked Smith. For Kenny Smith. Yeah. 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 No hate on Kenny Smith, but it was more like I was going for like the guy that like you know you think of the NBA champ. Um, was Reggie Miller on inside the NBA or is he? Still, he, like, he does like, college. He, ba- he does college basketball. Him and Grant Hill. And, and like he comments. Yeah. He's been a commentator for TNT. Yeah. Yeah. Kellogg. Yeah. Must have been, yeah. yeah. I might have tried him. Uh, but anyways, to get all these no's, so I'm like, okay, you know, I don't care. I'll still keep shooting my shot. But then they're like, what about Shaq? And they're like, I can't help you with Shaq, but here's the agent's info. I was like, okay, cool. So I, you know, get in touch with the agent, expecting nothing. And then I hear back from her at some point. I'm like, what? This is cool. <laughs> um, and then she's like, yeah, we'll, we'll make it happen. And I'm like, okay, if you say we'll make it happen, we'll make it happen. And then that's like one month. And then two months go by. And I'm like, hey, how about that interview? Like, oh, you know, he's busy. We'll do this. Definitely it's on my radar. And then months passed. And at some point it had been like four or five months I've been trying to get him. You know, but it takes me so long to write the book. Like, I'm like, course, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And it's yeah. Shaq. You know I mean, I got to do it. It's Shaq. It's Shaq yes. You, have to, you yeah. have to do your due I'm diligence when it comes to Shaq, you know. Exactly. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, it's worth the sure extra effort. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so for some context, um, you know, I work a day job. And I um, the day job I was working at that time was talking to these insurance agents. So I'm, I call up insurance I'm an insurance agent. So are you really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. What a small world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to be able to name so many insurance carriers. Like I tried to impress my wife, be like, ask me carriers. I can name 10 of them right now, 15 of them right now. Let me do it. And then she would be like, I don't really care. Like if if you know a bunch of insurance carriers. Um, But yeah, so I was working uh, for this company where I was uh, building these insurance websites. Mm -hmm. And I had a call uh, with this gentleman named Jeff uh, over in North Carolina to build his website. Um, and that was the day that, you know, that Shaq's agent is like, okay, he's ready to do it today. It's like, oh man, I'm at work. But so I you, do it. you didn't get any notice ahead of time? I got a little bit of notice. I got like morning notice in that okay. case. Maybe the day before, but at that yeah, point we yeah. rescheduled a bunch of times and I was kind of like, I got excited and then, you know, oh, nothing, got excited nothing. Um, and then she's like, it's going to be today. He's going to do it. I'm like, this is awesome. And I was like, hey Jeff, sorry, I got to reschedule our call about the websites. I didn't tell him that I'm about to talk to Shaq because he'd probably been like, why is my, my website guy going to tell me he's talking to Shaq? Um, but, you know, I managed to like play some hooky. My work was pretty cool about stuff like that. Like not like playing hooky overall, but like, you know, if you, something that's a passion for you. Of course. Like, yeah. Anyway. So, you know, I get all, you know, I got my questions over here. I got them all printed out. Um, you know, just like I got to have my, my, my paper over here in case like anything goes wrong with the computer. And, so then I go sit in this huddle room at work and I'm waiting for his call. Like, this is the time, like he's going to call. And I sit there and I wait and it's like every minute, it's like an hour. It's like, hey, where is he? Where is he? And then, uh, and I'm like, okay, uh, 
you know, and my coworkers, by the way, know I'm going over to talk to Shaq. They know that I'm working on the book. They're all super supportive. And they know I'm going to go over to talk to Shaq and I'm waiting, I'm waiting and nothing. So then I like text his agent, like after five minutes, but felt like an eternity, maybe 10 minutes for like forever. And I was like, Hey, you know, is there any chance the interview is still going to happen? And I'm expecting her to say, no, he has to cancel. But she's like, he hasn't called you yet. He hasn't called you yet. Give it a minute. And then I was like, okay. And then boom, unknown number and our unknown caller. And I was like, what? And like, there's part of me that's like, you know, you got to be put on a professional face. I'm doing this project, whatever. But in my head, I'm like, oh my God, it's Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> what a, yeah, what a thrill. Yeah. yeah. So I answered the phone and he goes, hello. And I was like, oh my God, it's Shaq. Shaq is calling me. This is amazing. And so then he's like, he's like, yeah, I'll talk to you. Yeah. And um, he was like, I remember he was uh, talking to me on his uh, car phone. Uh, and he was, he was backing out of his driveway in Miami. I think it was Miami, somewhere in Florida. And you know how if you have your, your door open or your seatbelt not plugged in, it makes like a ding, ding, ding sound. Yep. So he yeah. had that sound. And he's like, what's that? What's that, th- what's that sound coming from? And I was like, hey, have you checked your doorbell? Or not your doorbell. Have you checked your seatbelt? And I was like, I was like, wow, wait a minute. I'm in my at work in Columbus, Ohio, you know, playing hooky over here, calling up Shaq, who's backing out of his driveway in Florida, and we're gonna talk about NBA Jam. And I was like, man, this is so weird. It's really cool, but it man, it's weird. Yeah. Um, but Shaq yeah. was amazing. Like we could talk for like 15, 20 minutes, and he was really enthusiastic about the subject. And in the same way that I said that, you know, with DJ Jazzy Jeff, like just having NBA Jam there was doing the heavy lifting. That's what happened with Shaq. It's like, that's why he talked to me is because he loved NBA jams so much. And we got to talk about Mortal Kombat for a minute. And we talked about Punch Out for a second. I asked him about Shaq Fu. I had to ask him about Shaq Fu. Oh, head, well, head, I, had, head. I had that game on Super Nintendo. Yeah, maybe. I had it. it. I had it on Genesis. Yeah. It was not that good, but man, I loved it. No, it, it wasn't, Shaq. but it was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I asked him about it. And I, are you familiar with ShaqFu.com at all, by any chance? Oh uh, no. yeah, well, I know that they've redone. Didn't they? Did they not redo the game recently? They did a redo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they did. Oh they did wow. Yeah. yeah, but in this yeah. case, but ShackFu.com at this point uh, was pointing to a website where the whole point was to amass all the copies of ShackFu so they could destroy him because it's such an awful game. <laughs> and like at, after I've gone through the NBA Jam stuff, I was like the fan in me, you know, the video game player in me, like I have to ask him some stuff. I got to ask him about Shaq Fu. And I was like, hey, have you ever heard of ShaqFu.com? Like in retrospect, it's kind of like insulting to do that. But I, I phrased it in a certain way of like, have you heard about this weird thing? And he was like, no, I never heard of that. He's like, but don't worry. I, I did fine with that. Don't, don't you worry. I made enough money off of Shaq Fu. And I was like, I was like, I bet you did. I bet he made some serious bank off Shaq Fu. But he was a great dude to talk to. And, you know, I've talked to all kinds of different celebrities and different musicians and, you know, different people over the years. And sometimes you'll talk to somebody and it'll be like, wow, it's kind of a bummer. Like, because they're not as cool as you thought they would be. They don't want to do time or whatever. And that was my curveball question here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Was there anybody who was particularly disappointing or difficult to talk to during this project? That's my curveball. Ooh, uh, for, for NBA Jam? Yes. Let's see. Um, I'm trying to think. Honestly, I would say, like, you know, getting kind of close with some of those was kind of a bummer, like, where, like, I got a call from Macaulay Culkin's agent. At that point, I was like, I got Macaulay Culkin, baby. This is great. But then it was a no. Um, and Jimmy Fallon, I was, like, kind of waiting around on. Um, and then some other people, Seth Rogen, another big NBA Jam fan. Like, I was like, first, I was like, you want to write the forward to the book? No. You want to do an interview? No. Okay. Well, never mind. Um, but in terms of specific people I talked to, you know, everybody was honestly like there was, I'm trying to think of like there was anybody who um, 
everybody pretty much gave me such good material. And I think the big thing was like, everybody likes talking about NBA jam. Like yeah. it's all good memories. Yeah. And there's no real, like even mortal Kombat, which I love deeply. There's like a negative stigma of the violence associated with it, or it's not as good as street fighter. Whereas with NBA jam, it's all positive stuff. It's all like, Oh man, remember how good the game was and how many people loved it and how much money we made at midway and acclaim. Um, so honestly, in that way, it was really cool. Cause I've been burnt on some music interviews before. Um, maybe even a couple of wrestler interviews. I'm not going to name, name name any names on the recording. I can tell you afterward. Um, but like, but you know, in NBA Jam's case, honestly, like, I, no, nobody jumps to mind legitimately. That was like, boy, it was a bummer to talk to them. Because anybody who did talk to me, good material, and you know, like, talking to like Carrie Hoskins, uh, the cheerleader in NBA Jam, who became Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat Three. She was amazing too. And you know, all these different people from different walks of life. Like, I didn't know how to what to expect. But honestly, there was nobody who was really disappointing in NBA Jam. I'd been burned before, but not with NBA Jam. Yeah, and, and with that whole combination, too, like I feel like when I read your book, there was this like secret sauce at Midway going on. Like, how, how would you describe that? Definitely. I would say, yeah, Midway's like whole idea, like, you know, again, yeah, Midway did all these classic arcade games, you know, Mortal Kombat, Smash TV, NARC, NBA Jam, NFL Blitz, WF WrestleMania, the arcade game. Um, you know, they had such an amazing run of games that was really because of their big personalities in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like these are guys that love games like arcade game geeks through and through who also were like very passionate. Like they would get into arguments with each other at the office or they'd be like, you know, they'd be staying up late at night, you know, playing like a first person shooter against each other on the company computers and or like going out to hang out, um, you know, talk about the stuff afterward. So like they were really close to each other. That really helped. And there were some big personalities in there, like Mark Trammell, kind of over of the top. Um, Eugene Jarvis, who made uh, Defender and Narc and Robotron. Um, you know, he's another, he's somebody else who's like kind of a, like the godfather midway. You know, a real funny guy, loves to curse, always made these very fr- family-friendly games in the 80s, and then made, and then just loves to curse. <laughs> just like all these people who are like these very distinctive personalities. Um so I think, you know, the big thing about Midway was like the rapport and the small teams like NBA Jam was only made by seven people, which is just crazy to me. Like, yeah, I remember learning that when I was making the book, like I knew the teams were small, but like thinking that fundamentally there's only seven people that are really making this thing was just I think crazy. that's a testament to Termel as well and yeah. his leadership. Like we said, like clearly he could get people together and, you know, on his side and team and really kind of pushing forward for that common goal. Absolutely. Absolutely. He used to call himself the, uh, the referee of the process. So like he'd get the good ideas, the bad ideas, and they'd be in the middle sorting them all out. Um, but you know, the fact that you've got like the Mortal Kombat guys down the hallway from the NBA jam guys mm-hmm. and Boone all and these Tobias. teams are making, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Ed Boone and John Tobias, uh, got to talk to John Tobias for the book too, which was, was, was awesome. Mm-hmm. So like all these different people from these like different walks of life that love video games. Um, but it's very Chicago that can be like loud with each other and very opinionated. Um, you know, and they love basketball, like, you know, with Midway, like there's like a passion over there that just really bled through their games and they weren't afraid to take risks. Like they put oh. themselves in the oh. games. Like when you wouldn't do that, like to have themselves as secret characters, like you wouldn't do that back then. But they did it like, you know, with Mortal Kombat, like all the gore and the violence was so over the top at the time. You know, now it's child's play. But back then it was a big deal. That was because these guys are over the top and they're like, you know what? Let's see what happens. Let's see what we can do with it. And, you know, Midway is just a very special place to work. There's a lot of big personalities, but like also a lot of like real friendships over there. 
And cool people too, because like I'm a big Sonic Youth fan, and apparently Sonic Youth is in NBA Jam. And like, yes, I I came across that in your book and I stopped and I like got on my notes because I've been like, you know, writing down stuff to ask for the interview and then all caps. I'm like, how in the fuck do you unlock Yeah, all the random, all the random secret (laughs) characters. I loved, I loved myself some air air dog. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A nine-year-old kid. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, you know, actually just jumping back to people that are fun to talk to, air dog, I got to talk to for the book, who I never thought I would track down. Because all I ever knew him as was Air Dog, and, and then he was, find out was he was the son of someone involved in the game, right? Exactly. Yeah, he was the son of an executive at Acclaim. Uh, okay, who were doing okay. the home versions. Mm-hmm. So, like, being able to find him was just like, what? I found Air Dog. What a cool story that you'll never find otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, those secret characters, and I mean, that was one of the big reasons that people played NBA Jam was obviously it's a fun game, the NBA license, and whatnot. But then when you go past that. There's this feeling like anything can be an NBA jam. Oh, yeah. If you heard like oh, yeah. Santa Claus in NBA jam, you'd be like, maybe, maybe he's there. Or if you heard like, you know, Warren Moon is in NBA jam, maybe, and he was, mm-hmm. you know, NBA jam, maybe he was in one edition. Yeah. So, like, the fact that, you know, those secret characters had so much variety to them, too, like, there was just all this excitement over there. So, and I have to ask you about, too, um, the pre- Michael Jordan NBA jam. That's the great white whale. Um, I believe um, my first encounter with Michael Jordan in a video game was NBA Live 2000, where you yeah. had where there was a street ball mode where you had to like beat people one on one and then you unlocked him. Then he was on the Wizards, you know, so the right, climax yeah. there. But like I know um, one of, um, part in your book was this like mystery where, you know, there was an original chip of the game made with Michael Jordan on it sent to him, not a mod not somebody yeah. who's like remade it. Um, so that obviously, you know, was a big mystery. So, um, you know, just kind of what else is there to it? Do you, um, do you believe it's out there still? Uh, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'd say I still do. Yeah. So the backstory on that is that uh, Jordan's license was separate from all the other NBA players because right. you know, even in the early nineties, like he was already like all the way up over here. Um, you know, to the point, like, you know, all the kids in Pakistan, they know Michael Jordan. They might not know Charles Barkley. They might not know Scottie Pippen, but they know Michael Jordan. Um, so his license was separate from the rest of the NBA Players Association. Right. And Midway actually wanted to put him in NBA Jam. But then they were like checking into the rights and they're like, OK, wow, definitely not. This is not going to be worth it at all, which is why we ended up with uh, Horace Grant, I think, instead of uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, and it'd be a jam. A bit of a downgrade there. A exactly. Yeah. I so don't feel like horse, though. Yeah. 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 Like I that's horses like... mark on history. That's one of them. Goggles, yeah. man. You know. Yeah. Gotta love them. Do you remember the Super Nintendo game from like '92 called Bulls versus Blazers? Yeah. Yeah. Was Jordan in that? I think he was. What might have been? Yeah. I had that. I had that game. Yeah, I, I played it too. I definitely yeah. remember it. I feel like he was in it, and then like because that was like a year before NBA Jam, so yeah, I don't know. We'll have to look that up, but I just remember having that game as a like, kid. And- like, like, was that the year that, like, Nike and Gatorade and all that happened, and then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, you know, maybe right. I shouldn't put myself in this Value shot yeah. up. Now yeah. he's right. won three straight championships. So, yeah, and yeah, he's over here, and, you know, obviously the rest of the league, we've got amazing, fantastic players there, but it's like, you know, he's on his own path. Uh, um, do, um, so, yeah, so he separated himself. Do you think the association with Mortal Kombat had anything to do with that? You know, with because I know Mortal Kombat came out around the same time 
there was the yeah. big fuss about the violence. Did that have a lot to do with not just the NBA in general, but players perhaps reluctance to appear in the game? You know, funny enough, I've never heard anything about players ever voicing any kind of concerns about that. And in mm-hmm. fact, I bet there's some players that love Mortal Kombat that probably like really enjoy arcade games. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I haven't ever heard anything about individual players, but the NBA definitely, uh, by the time uh, Mortal, or, uh, by the time NBA Jam Tournament Edition came out and the Mortal Kombat characters were included by Tremel, just slipping them in there, being like, let's not ask the NBA, let's just put them in there. Mm-hmm. NBA was furious. They're like, why are these characters from this violent game in our game? Then yeah. they had to remove them right out. So the NBA was definitely not happy with the Mortal Kombat thing, um, but it wasn't the players. But, you know, I think it's also one of those things like Midway was so good at making these games. And, you know, NBA Jam made all this money, made like a billion dollars in arcades, which is crazy. Yeah. Like the fact that it made all this money, like even the NBA has got to be like, okay, maybe, you know, we'll just forget about this Mortal Kombat thing. Like, look at when I remember you referenced Kitsro, the announcer figuring that out when someone like told him that they read it in a magazine and he's like, whoa, this is no longer just like a hobby, but he should have been like, give me my money after that. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you had something later with some of the later games that he had to like fight for his value. Oh yeah. Which probably was still just like a few grand. It's like, pay this man. Like he is such an important figure in this whole game. I know a bit of a a side here, but um, I went to his website today. Um, What's his website called again? Oh. Dude, Kitsro? Yeah. Mr. Boomshakalaka.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where you can pay yeah. him to say things, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, like, yes. like he does have that. Like a cameo. Yeah. This is a, who said yeah, yeah, yeah. com? I think is another yeah. one. Like he's got two different That's sites. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I also yeah. loved one thing from him is that they they kept the kind of uh, XXX curse words that he had said as they were messing around in the studio. And one that I love, instead of he grabs the rebound, was he grabs his Johnson. Yes. A classic. <laughs> Just can't he's imagine. Just, yeah. <laughs> he's on fucking fire. Yeah. Like, if you've seen that in like 94, 95, it's cool seeing it now, but if you've seen like 95, like your mind would have just exploded. Like, yeah. standards. like you just know, like, I don't know what to do. Like, the, yeah. the NBA Jam guys. And then he out. had to, he denied it initially, you said, but yeah, that did, definitely, that geeked me out for just. Oh, yeah. Also, I just love the term Johnson is so under you. And just Great. so funny. So yeah, I definitely got a big yeah. You know, the, yeah. There's Absolutely. a reason it was picked over like Smith or Lee or something like that. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't Jim Ross have a line about somebody grabbing the Big Johnson at some point? I feel like. Yeah. No, 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 no. That, was yeah. it Edge grabs the Big like, Johnson yeah. something, or was that somebody else? That definitely sounds from. And there was, there was a character at one point named Big Dick Johnson. Was it Ahmed Johnson that he was talking about? I don't know. Somebody's talking about. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like it was hatched from an egg laid by Vince McMahon. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. Well, but, since we've kind of pivoted to wrestling for a sec, like tell us a yeah. little bit that you found out, you know, about the WWF WrestleMania, the arcade game that Midway also made, and just kind of anything you learned about. I know you mentioned it in the book briefly about, you know, the undertaker and him working yeah. on it, but just any kind of stories uh, in yeah. regards to that game as well, which was the same time as all this. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to, to bring you back in time. So NBA jam has done huge numbers. NBA jam tournament edition is a no brainer. You got to do NBA jam tournament edition. Keep, keep making that. That's that the one he and I really grew up on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I played it probably first on the Super Nintendo, but yeah. yeah. I rented it and it's what I played last night at the arcade. There you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So at that point, so they make NBA Jam Tournament Edition, and they feel like, boy, we can like, you know, we can do anything at this point. Like we are just, you know, we're printing money right now, and they were like, let's do a wrestling game. So, um, so Tramel, they, you know, he had Roger Sharp, who I talk about in the book as well, um, who negotiated the deal with the NBA. I think he negotiated the deal with the WWF too. And the initial plan was to actually have um, have somebody play, have people play the wrestlers and then cut off their heads. Same thing that they did with NBA Jam. Like as in have somebody do the moves and then cut off yep. the head and draw in somebody else's head. And then somebody from the WWF was like, why don't I just send them on over to you? Like they'll be in Chicago for whatever. They're like, yeah, sure. Come on in. So like they had like all these guys coming in, like when they're in town for a show in Chicago. So like Bam Bam Bigelow's there and Yokozuna's there and all these guys are there. Um, and, you know, Tramel and all the Midway guys from this time, um, many of like most of whom were also worked on NBA Jam, they all remember this very vividly, like how cool it was and how surreal it was. And um, like, for example, like, uh, you know, one of the, the story, one of my favorite stories, which I, I think I mentioned in the same chapter, is that, you know, when the Undertaker got there, like he was willing to do all these moves in front of the Bruce, in front of the blue screen for the game. But first he needed a bottle of Jack Daniels. And I was just like, man, that's amazing. Just like the guys at Midway drinking with, with the Undertaker, like somebody's got like, that's just a great image. Um, and then, yeah, they would go out like, they, I think they went to go see, I'm not sure if they officially all went to go see it together at the Rosemont Horizon. Um, but to one of those WF shows at the time, after that, they all went drinking out at an airport bar. So like they've got stories of like getting wasted with Yokozuna, who you know of course was so heavy. Head O'Hare, like, yeah. forever, yeah. yeah. And um, like just these amazing like visuals of like the midway team, like you know just drinking with with the guys and the and the WF guys were also very cool with like the the process. Um, you know they said like nice things about all of them, and um, you know they also like the imagery of the WF at the time, especially was like very over the top. Oh, like you know, yeah. Doink car- is perfect. We, like, we call it the cartoony there. era. You know, it's exactly. what Fred and I've yeah. come to call Basically it. Basically from like 93 yeah. to early, like really 93 to 96, very cartoonish, you know. Absolutely, you, yeah. The past Hulkamania and all that. And yeah, I love right. that era because that's what I, I grew do up too. on. But yeah. it's, but it's yeah. not good wrestling, but it's A lot just, of it, no, it isn't. It it's isn't. good I mean, stuff. you still have like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. And oh, like I mean, Bret Hart's little, one of my little, favorites, little, but yeah. yeah. And it's got Put That Cigarette Out, which is um, Royal Rumble 92, one of our iconic moments, if you're not familiar. Mean Gene Okerlund, Put Gene. That Cigarette Out. Yes. Oh, my yes. God. Mid-90s WWF looked a lot like my hat and shirt, just bright in your face. You know, you had characters like the goon and Isaac Yankum, DDS. A kid, a kid friendly product, you know, very much so. We talked a lot about that. Yeah. And the middle and the midway guys were really inspired by this, like which is why like you see all these different variations of like what the wrestlers would do in the like actual WF wrestlers would do they try to like extrapolate of that on that like how you know yokozuna throws the salt in WF wrestlemania the arcade game because yep. he's that in the ring and like you know undertaker hits you with like a real tombstone not just the, the pile driver but like an actual <laughs> tombstone yeah and like razor ramon has a razor for an arm and you know if you hit Shawn michaels hearts fly out of him stuff like that like so they really like uh went and ran with it um, so they had a great time working on it and they had some really fun stories, but then what was crazy is that, you know, this was the same time that Mortal Kombat three came out and, uh, it was the same style of game in some ways, like the WrestleMania is like somewhere a wrestling game, somewhere a fighting game, but it came out the same time as Mortal Kombat three and the guys in Midway were so excited to 
you know, to go see their, you know, the, the WWF WrestleMania team was excited to see their game on location. And they went out to go to an arcade and they go over and WWF WrestleMania is being used as a coat rack for all, for everybody else who's on Mortal Kombat 3. Yeah, and those yeah. are your friends. Wow. Those are your coworkers from down the hall who made the game. Yeah, that's not what hurts. you want to see. Yeah, yeah. So there was like some competition and camaraderie there, which also leads to like why Midway was so good is because like they, I mean, they all enjoyed each other's company and they had a good time. But there was also some competition over there of like, okay, you know, I want to make a game that's better than what you made because, of course, it leads to more money, more success for everybody. Um, so yeah, so Divina for WrestleMania was like a mixed bag. Like it was a really high of highs for Tremel and the team because they're coming off of NBA Jam. But then it was a real low because it didn't do nearly as well as NBA Jam. And it didn't do nearly as well as Mortal Kombat 3. So they kind of felt like maybe it was a failure in some ways, which yeah. is kind of a bummer because yeah. I, I love that game. But it's like commercially it did not do well, which surprised me later on. Like the, the home versions did well, the ones that acclaimed did uh, for the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis and all. Like those did great. But like the actual arcade, arcade version didn't do so hot. Yeah, and, and to dig into that, you know, we move, you know, to that like, Mortal Kombat 3, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, then your 3D Mortal Kombats. And then, you know, a big part of your book, you know, discusses the uh, decline of Midway and Coin-Op. Um, yeah, and, and so with that, uh, what do you think was uh, the most, I guess, significant cause of that decline for them? Yeah, I think I think like, it's, it's tough to pinpoint just one, mm-hmm. but I'd say like fundamentally, Midway was not a home games company. Like Midway's bread and butter was always arcade games. And like, yeah. that's why this is so successful is because they're making games that are like, you know, you've got short experiences. They're really fun and fast and crazy and over the top, but they're not meant to be like, you know, to be something where you spend a whole season on it right. or where you're really going in depth because that wasn't their model. Like, like you couldn't, you're not going to make a sim game for an arcade. It won't work the same way. You don't have the time. You don't have the capacity. So when they pivoted from arcade games to home, which they felt like they had to do, and I think it was 2000 because the arcade market had already, you know, was already falling off a cliff. And, you know, the, clearly the wave was home games and, you know, and in the end they were right to that degree. It wasn't like arcade games made a big comeback. They're right. But Midway just wasn't ready for that. And they didn't have like the right resources over there. And then to go along with that, they had made all this money off of those arcade games that I think there was some overconfidence over there where they're like, you know, we are on top of the world, like NBA jam, Mortal Kombat, like, they made Mortal Kombat in a movie two years after the original game came out, or three years, which is crazy. Like, can you imagine, like, making a game now, you're nobody. Three years from now, there's a movie in theaters, and it's number right. one. Like, Midway had so much overconfidence with that, too, I think. And they're just burning money left and right on a lot of bad decisions, a lot of management changes and things like that. People are getting unhappy creatively. But, I mean, all those things factored into it. But I think fundamentally what it comes down to is the fact, that, like, they weren't built for that kind of game. Like, they were built for fast experiences, you know, just a, a short bursts of energy versus like long things and, and, like we've come to expect at home games. And one observation that I got kind of like based on, you know, th- that, that decline was that in terms of management, like, like midway, what it became was less than the sum of its parts, you know, like the talent that was there, you know, seemed to kind of like be greater than like what it ended up ultimately being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that, um, you know, that Sal DeVita, who was the lead artist on NBA Jam. Actually, I'm not sure if he was the lead artist. He was an, an artist on NBA Jam, ended up being a lead artist on a bunch of games. He was like the actual physical model for NFL Blitz. Like they like mo- they uh, like motion captured him and they ended up using all of his movements for the game. 
But he said, like, you know, Midway wasn't just like some company. It was these collection of people. And, you know, the fact that you've got like Eugene Jarvis, who made Defender mm-hmm. and Robotron, these classic arcade games down the hall from Mark Trammell, who did all these other things down the hall from the Mortal Kombat guys down the hall from George Petra and Jack Hager, who made uh, Terminator 2, the arcade game. Right. I completely forgot about Terminator 2. That was huge for them. Also. That rail shooter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That made like tons of money for them. That was a huge success for Midway. Like at one point, that was the high watermark. Um, and like they were all these like big personalities, very smart people, people who got the business. And then management starts to come in and be like, okay, let's do X, Y, and Z. Let's not do this. Let's do that. And, you know, the, the people start getting dissatisfied. And now at that point, they've got the money and the leverage to go someplace else, which a lot of them did. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, by the end, though, yeah, you're right. It was just not, this wasn't the same. And Midway was definitely, you know, going on by on its actual name versus the, the people that worked there. Yeah, and, and, and kind of despite, you know, uh, that sort of decline, um, to me, that led to one of my favorite prose sections of your book. And uh, if you do not mind, I would like to uh, read from it, if that's okay. Yeah, by all means, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in April 2009, Eugene Jarvis received a phone call. It was Matt Booty. Midway's last CEO calling to let him to know that a crew would be taking apart the offices the following day. If there was anything he wanted before the remnants of Midway were tossed out, now is the time to get it. That evening, Jarvis and a group of Midway veterans assembled for a raid. They convened in the lobby of a corporate building in the back of a Midway complex next to the Chicago River. By that point, all the best stuff had been taken. Only scraps were left. Game cartridges, marketing documents, telephones, stray pieces of furniture. The gang picked through the remains. Something in the lobby caught Jarvis's eye. He noticed a framed poster outlining Midway's goals for success. One of the byproducts of the home game era. It had 29 bullet points on it. No wonder they failed, Jarvis said to himself. You can't do 29 things at the same time. He took the poster down and announced his plans to put it on eBay. Another raider was quick to stop him. Whoever takes this will carry the failure of Midway with him, he said. You got to throw this in the Chicago River, Jarvis reconsidered. Later that night, the group headed to the riverbank with the poster in hand. This poster symbolized the worst of Midway, the hundreds of millions of dollars squandered, the thousands of jobs that had been lost, the terrible decisions that were made, all the opportunities that had come and gone. The group recited a tongue-in-cheek prayer for Midway, then chucked the poster into the water. In moments, the metal frame came apart, then came the glass, then the foam board, and finally the paper itself. The letters in Midway and its 29 goals dissolved into the muddy water. Traveling past 3401 North California Avenue, down, down, down the Chicago River. And um, the reason I like that passage a whole lot is even though it describes, you know, death, um, you know, it, it, you know, they must have done something really great to inspire that passionate of a description, that passionate of a eulogy um, to what they did. And so I, w- I was really moved by that. And that was my favorite part of your book. I really appreciate that. Thank you. That was one of my favorite parts to find because mm-hmm. I remember at one point I was, uh, you know, I'd been through all like, the big pieces, but it's like hard to, to end a story. Like yeah. it was harder towards it the is. end in some ways. Cause it's like, how are you going to like make this story interesting at the end? But I was like, I know like Midway's failure absolutely has to come into it. And then Eugene Jarvis, I was doing an interview with them, and he kind of mentions this kind of offhand that they did this. And I was like, what? Tell me more about this. 
And then the more I heard about the story, it was amazing. And um, he actually, uh, I mentioned the telephone in there. Um, the telephone in particular was uh, known as the shitter phone. Yeah. And the shitter yeah. phone actually came from the CEO of Midway at one point, who actually had a phone in his bathroom, like a corded phone in the oh, bathroom. Wow. He would like do business decisions on. That was there amongst the, the amongst the rebel, or excuse me, amongst the rubble. And I didn't have like the like the, the room, and it was like kind of like a tone shift to be like talking about the guy on the in the bathroom on the phone. Um, but like, yeah, that was like a whole thing that he said. And I mean, I just love the idea that these guys are self-aware to be like, do not hold on to this stuff. Like some of the stuff, you know, good memories. Some of the stuff is trash. And um, yeah, that was one of my, my favorite things that I learned about. I'd never heard the story before. I heard it right from Eugene Jarvis himself. And, um, you know, the fact that they had the whole eulogy for it, like that's so midway to be like, you know what I mean? Just like, screw it, say goodbye to it. And then everybody laughs and probably goes and has a drink afterward. Uh, oh, yeah. It, spe- uh, yeah, it speaks to its value, you know, though transitory, you know, it, it, it was meaningful and it has an incredible legacy, hence uh, your book, hence this interview, um, you know, hence me um, going 40 minutes out of my way to, you know, play an arcade after work, you know, Absolutely. And, uh, having some great tacos and some great beers and making a stupid TikTok video you know absolutely um, yeah. i'll tell you what a, sh- a shitter phone sounds like something george costanza would have <laughs> <laughs> it totally does it totally does yeah dude george costanza would have made a great nba jam character like, oh my goodness yeah talking about sonic youth being a weird selection but a good one like boy if the seinfeld gang if you could have like i don't know like you know jerry and kramer versus george and elaine like that would have been cool when we oh, know oh, from oh, the oh, one oh. episode they play basketball that george is a chucker yeah, or, or if we had the whole gamut, if we had Frank and Estelle and Morty, and uh, oh my yeah, Jerry's mom's name is Uncle Leo, Helen, Helen, ba- absolutely, Banya, Banya, and um, it'd be Golden and uh, Kruger. And do you know what the, what the mini yes. game would be? Do you know what the mini game would be like what? between between uh, it would be Frogger? Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah, it's like it, it could all work together, like. Somebody needs like a Seinfeld NBA Jam mod sometime. Like that is that is gold. That's gold, Jerry. Yeah, gold. Gold. Yeah. So get on that. I think we're wrapping up here. I know this flew by. This was amazing. Um, So I did want to mention one thing and then touch on some wrestling stuff real quick. Of course, yeah. Get you out of here. But uh, um, one thing I loved was just the confirmation of I think what was called rubber banding coating Mm -hmm. of basically seesawing the scores of like hey if one team is getting too far up ahead that the game will kind of make it closer and obviously i remember that happening in nfl blitz as well it's like you can't get too much of a lead so i think it's something that everybody knew but just to see it in your book that that was actually how the game was coded i thought was very cool yeah and it was one of those things that people still remember very vividly they remember how upset they got at nba jam being this this game that cheats. And um, here's a funny story that I didn't put in the book. Um, like, it was like one of those things I didn't really have, have room for. Sure. Um, but sure. there's this game, Smash TV, which came out before NBA Jam, classic arcade game. And it's got this really distinctive announcer who says things like, you know, big money, big prizes. I love it. Like, he's like this real big character. So anyways, like for NBA Jam Tournament Edition, they're going to put all the different midway people in the game, right? And it's like, you're talking about like the top level people, but then also people are just, you know, a hardware guy over here, sound guy over here. Like everybody's getting involved uh, in this and everybody gets to be put in the game. It's like a little yearbook. 
And um, this is called this guy, Paul Heisch, the voice of the host in uh, Smash TV, which was the previous game that Tremel made. And he did not like the rubber banding. And like he thought it was very cheap. And he was like, this isn't like, you know, it's just, you're, this is manipulating the game. And, uh, you know, Tremel put him in the game, but Tremel did not like that. So he gave him the worst stats overall. So like, if you go through the game, like you go through the code, like you, you dive in deep over there, he has like ones and twos. And he's like, Tremel basically just buried this guy because he said, he's talking that trash about the rubber banding. I mean, for Tremel, that was his bread and butter to keep those quarters coming. And it, it worked. I mean, that's why Absolutely. people come back to And I guess it, it stayed true on the home editions as well. Cause I mean, I think it definitely was like Absolutely. that, especially in yeah. NFL Blitz. I mean, I can't tell you how many times playing that game. You know, you'd have a two-touchdown lead or a three-touchdown lead. Oh, pick six. Oh, fumble. You know, I mean, yeah. it was classic. Exactly. And that's, yeah. it made for great competition and people getting pissed off. And uh, Absolutely, oh, yeah. absolutely. And NBA Jam, it sounds weird, but it's like when I play NBA Jam, obviously, I, you know, I, I play with it in a different way because I, I spent some years talking about it. But, like, one of the main things that really stuck out to me even early on was thinking about, like, wow, like this game kind of knows what it's doing. Like, and the, the rubber banding is not random. It's not like, oh. I just happened to suck now when I was just killing it like five minutes ago. Like this game is just messing with your emotions and getting you invested. And the fact that, you know, if you're going to chuck up a three right towards like right before the buzzer, there's an increased likelihood that it'll go in. That's to manipulate you. That's to get you to say, wow, I've got a lead or it's tied. Maybe I can win this. And like in turn, you're going to spend more money. So it's just like all really kind of devious, also brilliant. And Mm -hmm. Uh, Tramel was very proud of that rubber banding because, like, that's say, really, you know, that's what kept people coming back to it. Yeah, especially when you have to p- keep paying quarters to keep going. And it's, yeah, it's genius. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, again, that just goes back to Tramel and his vision and how it seemed like at the end of the day, he typically got what he wanted. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And, and even on the on the remake that came out, um, I know uh, you devote a little bit in your later chapters. I think it was. 2011 2012 with like the actual like you know full jpeg faces of the mpa players yeah i don't know if they're jpeg yeah. files or not but but yeah no no it's like what you mean exactly yeah that one's that were actually the pictures yeah mm-hmm. Tramel, yeah he went over he worked with ea sports on that one and he actually would give them like information mm-hmm. on um how the rubber banding worked like he you know of course had known he built all the stuff underneath the hood he and other programmers but he was really eager to share that kind of stuff because like to him like that rubber banding is one of the crucial things about nba jam and you know if you play nba jam 2010 slash 2011 it's definitely in there like it's definitely this is all very tremendous like go back and forth and to be manipulated like that but that's kind of the fun of nba jam of like having your emotions oh where it's like you just hate somebody by the end like you just i remember like the mavericks have beat me here's the thing I love NBA Jam. I'm not very good at it, which like it's funny because like I wrote the book on it. So everybody's like, oh, man, you got to be a killer. At it. No, I'm pretty trash. Yeah. So I've got a, a buddy that whenever he plays me NBA Jam and beats me, he gets like this, this rush of pride. Like I beat the guy that wrote the book. And I'm like, buddy, Ethan, it isn't that big of a deal, man. Like, you know, a random stranger over there could probably beat me in NBA Jam. But um, but yeah, you know, like this instilled a hatred of the Dallas Mavericks for me. Because the Dallas Mavericks would be the first team that you play. Um, I think it was original NBA Jam. And at some point, I was just, like, playing playing just totally trash. This might have been when I was working on the book or something, but I was just, like, 
I hate these Mavericks. Even though the worst team in the league. Jamal Mashburn. Mash, yeah. that's, that, that, that's who beat me my first game last night when Rick Smith sucked it up. Yeah. You know, garbage. And it's like, I'm getting beaten by the 90s Mavs. What's going on here? Like, we're talking about like a, like a good 90s team. Pre, like the pre, Jason, pre Jason Kidd, too. And, my, exactly. and, and then my second game was Suns and Knicks, you know, and Barkley hits two threes at the end, you know, for me to go up by like multiple scores. And luckily the computer took Patrick Ewing out at halftime, you know, so like, Patrick Ewing, who did not like the art of his face. Right. You yeah. mentioned did not. that. I yeah. do mention that. Yeah. Um, you know, that was another cool thing about it is that all these players are familiar with the game, which, you know, you might have in like, it's probably pretty common now to have players play themselves in the games or know the games, but like in the early nineties, it was different. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, one of the, the artists, uh, Tony Goski was in the airport in Chicago. Uh, I think it was in a bookstore or like a convenience store or something like that um, or a gift shop or something. And Patrick Ewing's over there and he goes up and he's like, Oh my God, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. I worked, I, I actually drew the heads for NBA jam and Ewing like lifted him up kind of jokingly, but he was like, so you're the reason I'm like, you're the one I have to blame for this. And he did not like the way he looked in the media jam. Uh, Cause all those, those heads were also hand drawn, which is crazy. Like, yeah. That's passion. Like spending two yeah. months drawing yeah. heads oh, and like yeah. having to like that's imagine cool. angles, cool. you know what I mean? Like you don't have the internet to refer to. The NBA doesn't have a whole style guide or all these pictures to come in. Like you have to have, what is the, what is the back of Dan Marley's head look like? You just kind of imagine it. Like that's such a weird thing to me. Looks like um, yeah, one yeah. thing that kind of surprised me, because um, as you know, as we're reading, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I imagine he's going to mention something about NBA hang time, which was kind of like a sequel of, you know, it was based heavily on NBA jam and NFL yeah. blitz. Like I assumed those were coming. Um, there was a lot more talk about blitz than hang time and almost kind of seemed like hang time was a bit of a failure. So I grew up playing a hell of a lot more hang time than NBA jam. And even thinking hang time was a better game. Um, you know, obviously it couldn't have happened without NBA jam, but I just have a lot more personal memories about hang time. Uh, just talk about hang time and kind of what you learned, you know, in talking to these guys about it. Cause again, I think for people our age, 33, 34, you know, we were a little bit older when that came out and it was on the N64 um, so again, I've just got a ton of positive memories about it and, you know, was glad to see it in there, but was surprised it wasn't, I guess, heralded a little more than it truly is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually a huge hang time fan myself. I'd say like, you know, I have a lot of love for NBA jam for a bunch of reasons, but like when it comes down to like on a game level, like I think hang time's better. I agree. Um, yeah. Wholeheartedly but, agree. Oh yeah. I think the big thing was like at that point when NBA hang time came out, it was 96. And there had been so much NBA Jam stuff at that point. Like, there had been the NBA Jam home games. There had been these knockoffs. There had been the arcade game. And it was still just NBA Jam. Like, you know, it's a different – there's some. There's definitely some improvements over there. But I think it was losing some of its luster. And then you'll see in time the two-on-two -two genre would kind of fade away. Yeah. Like, for that – like, you know, in those early 90s from, like, 93 to 96, it was really hot. But then, like '96 through onward, it starts just to a little, away. a little fatigue, I guess. Sports fatigue. simulators, you know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I had a buddy was, yeah. that was so good at that game uh, that he was able to beat people with his feet. Wow. <laughs> Shit, you not? Yeah, Andy Bean. I don't, I, though. I don't remember oh, if you oh, met him, but you. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, I met him at Jungle. 
Or, oh, or that's no, or no, Modest Mouse, one of the shows. Modest Mouse, yeah. Modest yeah, yeah. Mouse, but yeah, yeah, he was so good at the game, he could beat people with his feet. And also, because you mentioned Beckett Magazine in your bio, he is he was published in Beckett Magazine as a kid. No way. He's a big card collector, and he's actually awesome. in Atlanta right now for some big, uh, huge sports card convention. But Dude, uh, that's awesome. You got to yeah. get him to beat NBA, or NBA hang time with his feet someday. He lives in Louisville, so Beckett. Oh, maybe we next time I'm down there we can uh, awesome. try and get. And I don't know if he's played with his feet anytime recently, but I'd be curious to That'd see. That'd be pretty it cool. Well. Yeah, like well, what else can he do? Can he like play like Tekken with his feet, or yeah. is he like you know Tetris <laughs> with his feet? I'm like trying to think of like all these different things you could do. But and how do you get? How do you know that you're that good that you can decide? Right. Oh, I can play yeah. this game with my feet and beat you. So yeah, we'll have to get a. I'll have, I'll have to get a follow up yeah. with Mr. Absolutely. Andy. That's a yeah. talent. That's like one of those like that's that's one of those talents that you don't get until like a very specific scenario happens. Where like you've beaten somebody enough times, you're like, I gotta embarrass you. I'm gonna beat you with my feet this time. So that's that's pretty impressive talent though. Like that is definitely like you gotta get a video of that if it ever happens. And then so that way NBA hang time to get some more love because you know, just like you, I love the game, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely definitely was not like well, it wasn't nearly as much of a hit financially. And I think you know, there's that fatigue. And plus, they'd already, you know, they'd already done it before. Um, it's a great game, but yeah, just didn't hit right, the same. Right. Just remember. NBA, hang time. I'm, I'm in, in the zone. zone. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'm in the zone. Yeah, yeah. like like the, the Kobe Bryant and NBA court side, the wow, wow, you know, it had some sort of funky music to it. Which is <laughs> I love a it. Um, well, is there. Yeah, I was going to say anything else uh, NBA Jam related you want to get in and then we'll talk wrestling for a few and then we'll get you on out of here. I do have one last NBA Jam. Oh, yeah, yeah, question. yeah, yeah, I do. Um, if you, you know, it, NBA Jam's had the original iteration in the early 90s, then that resurgence in the um, early part of the last decade. Um, if NBA Jam were to return today, do you think that its identity Rayon would be permanently rooted in nostalgia. Is that always going to be part of it? Or is there kind of something new NBA Jam can add to basketball culture, pop culture, like to every aspect of culture that it was originally involved in? That's a great question. I would say, honestly, it is always going to be rooted in nostalgia because there's no way, there's 0% chance you can ever get another NBA Jam that's ever going to top that for like a bunch of different reasons. It was the right time, the right people, the right place, the right roster, all these different things. Mm. And, you know, like there's been a Mortal Kombat game that came out like a few years ago, Mortal Kombat 11. They did crazy numbers that shattered all these records and whatnot. But a fighting game, you can do so much more with than you can with an NBA Jam game. Sure. Because if you go too far into the strategy, then it's not NBA Jam and people don't really want, they don't come to NBA Jam for that kind of stuff. That's why they go to the Sims. So I think it could be, you know, if you had the right designer behind it, who was like really into the idea of NBA Jam and really gave us some interesting concepts, mm-hmm. like you could make a great game. I yeah. still think there's absolutely 100% market for it. You know, nostalgia is the base, but you could also like promote it because NBA Jam is fun to play anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, there's just no way you can ever top it. Like it made a billion dollars yeah. in arcades. Like now arcades aren't even a thing and it made a billion dollars in arcades. It's like, it's just, you know, one of those things where it's like, you just can't replicate it because of the timing and the people that are involved. And, um, you know, of course, and if it, if it, let's say it's a great game, the best game ever, people are always going to compare it to the original NBA Jam. They're like, yeah, eh, look, at, look at, you know, it doesn't have, it doesn't have Horace Grant in it. You know, it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have 
know, in it. You know, it doesn't have like whoever in it. Now I'm going with some deep cut players over here, but like let's say you know it doesn't have so and so in it, mm-hmm. um, and it just won't hit the same for people because even though you love that, you know, you got the sounds and the excitement, like your memories are all connected with the classic versions. Um, so I absolutely think it's going to come back at some point. Don't know when, but I absolutely think it's going to come back, and I think that there will be a market for it, and it could make a lot of money. It'll just never be like what it once was. And I think that's just the reality. You know what I mean? Like it's, it was amazing, but like, it's just not going to happen again. It's like, with the, like, you know, Terminator we're talking about. I love the Terminator movies, the original two. When you get on Terminator 3 onwards, it's like, guys, it's like you already, you know, you topped yourselves at two. Like there's no way unless you've got some of the amazing creative vision who's going to ever do anything. More it's the it. same elements. Like some of my favorite movie analysts always say it's like Taco Bell. It's like, oh yeah, there's like the, you know the the um, right tortilla and the beef and the cheese and the and for Terminator it's the John Connor and the time travel and the robot exactly you know, just, just just yeah, yeah presented yeah. differently yeah, yeah. yeah. right that's a, and that's then, a good yeah. good analogy yeah. and you know I think and it's never and they could make the best Terminator movie ever but it's never going to top Terminator two or Terminator one you know what right. I mean it's just like it's just not possible yeah. and there's nobody out there who's like an Arnold type that's would you know. Even the rock couldn't ever yeah. evoke that. Like, you know, it's so it's one of those things that very much of a product of its time. That said, though, I still think there's definitely a market for it. It's just like, you know, you have to pitch it in a certain way. Don't set your expectations that it'll be like the next, you know, it'll be the next marquee franchise. It's yeah. never going to be that. And I guess nostalgia definitely sells. That's for sure. And, and, you know, looking back, such as the nature of lightning in a bottle, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that it was in Chicago during that time when the Bulls were so dominant. Like, I didn't even – I had no clue it was in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, they're inspired by the fact that their team is just killing it. Like, you know, it's – like, there's all those different things that that combined into making it that thing. Like, you know, this big thing and the small team, like I said, if you had an NBA jam now, there'd probably be, like, 50 or 100 people or something like that working on it. Yeah. And it's just a different dynamic. And it could be a great game, but it just won't be the same. Well, you mentioned The Rock. So who are some of your favorite wrestlers? I've been dying to ask. Ooh, favorite wrestlers. Well, Let's see. before that, real quick, while you're yeah. pondering, I remember I looked earlier at the initial DM conversation that you and Bo had, and you brought up the two dudes with attitudes for all the belts match from, I believe it was In Your House triple header. Ooh, uh, you got a good those, memory, yes. Those two against, was it Yokozuna and British Bulldog? Yes. For all the belts, the heavyweight, the, belts. the intercontinental, and the tag team. I haven't watched that match in many, many years, but uh, me neither. Yeah, classic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so just around the same time that I got into the NBA, also got into the WWF. Um, what's really weird? It's like one of those things where, like you know, like the, one of the big differences between like growing up in Pakistan and over here is that over there it was so hard to ever get legitimate media. Like you know, you could get stuff, but it would always be pirated. And if it was a videotape, it would be a copied videotape. Yeah. Um, so you could, I could never get the official releases, but there was this amazing place. It was actually weirdly enough a bicycle shop that was right near my place. That it was like a bicycle shop slash video store. It's like, I don't know, just a different era. But <laughs> that's where I would get the WWF pay per view tapes uh, from, and I just, I just fell in love with that too. Um, so those, those interests really overlapped for me. Yeah. Let's see. Um, some of my all time favorites. Um, you know, the first ones that that come to mind. You know, I love Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, because that was the era in which I, I oh, came up with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd say I'm, I'm overall more of a Bret guy than a Shawn guy, but I still me love too. Them. Me too, me too. Yeah. Um, my very first favorite, the one that got me into wrestling was Razor. Love Razor Ramon. And I was always bummed out that, like, 
you know, the way that his career went in certain directions afterward. Obviously, the personalized stuff, but also, like, professionally, like, you know, I always wanted to see him as, like, the guy for, like, a minute. Like, I wanted to see him as top someplace, and that never really happened. No. Um, no. But I loved no. Razor. Um, he had, loved- he had great, great, th- great music, Razor did. I remember, Amazing. so I had the games Royal Rumble and Raw on Super Nintendo, and that's, that's- when I really started, and, like, just hearing his theme music was... Over and over again, Yeah. yeah um yeah i love razor um trying to think of some other favorites uh, you know i have a soft spot for diesel because he was the champion when i started watching not the greatest wrestler ever but like he always yeah, got a soft yeah. spot for him. he had some i mean hitman would bring out some good matches out of him in that era yeah for sure and then when when diesel like i remember watching survivor series 95 was when i first got really into wrestling okay like, in terms okay. Of, like you know I, I watched that two days with attitude it was fun but survivor series 95 that amazing match with brent diesel was like wow like this is like you watched that at the time in '95. I did, wow. I did. Okay. I watched it like like a few weeks later, like a month later, whenever. You yeah. So I started '90s, mid '97 is when I really got into it, like the first time, and then started yeah. watching all the old shit before that. But so much good stuff, yeah. And you know, I had um, you know, I also like I got into WCW at that time too because mm-hmm. you know we actually they did broadcast Nitro over there. Like this is on really, yeah. yeah. Weirdly enough, it was on Friday nights. So even though it was Monday Nitro, I always associated very deep with Friday nights. But you got, got to a, see it. So I got yeah. to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And God, I remember this. Like they would show it at like like they would start it a little bit later. And this one time, I fell asleep during the show. I mean, I was a little kid, and I woke up crying, just hysterical, because there's like it's like I miss Nitro. <laughs> Probably some jobber <laughs> match or something, or like another NWO, like just running in and doing whatever. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I this Nitro. I can't believe I did it. Um, love Chris Jericho. He's my favorite WCW wrestler. He's my oh, favorite my. of all time. And that's because of the work he did in W. Like, he, I remember vivid memories of him just geeking me out. And he's just been so relevant for so long and reinvented so himself much. over and over. And he's such a good wrestler. But absolutely. You know, he's amazing. Um, and then I'm trying to think of some other ones that I love. Love Daniel Bryan, um, or Bryan Daniels, best wrestler in the world right now, other than this side of Shingo Takagi. I don't know if you know. I do know. Any- yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're no joke. I'm, I'm, oh, it's like like I was saying, like you peel away the onion. They were more like, wow, you are really into. This so fight. you're still into it currently, then? Mm-hmm. I'm still into it currently. Clearly, That's yeah. Funny. Do you watch yeah. AEW at all? I do watch AEW. I don't. Yeah. Wa- I haven't watched WWE except for the pay per views. That's what we are. <laughs> You're not yeah. missed. Royal Rumble sucked. Dude, yeah. what a thumbs down. I had a buddy over. Um, you know, you're talking about the dynamic of your podcast is like one of you wrestling, and the other one's like, "This is kind of cool. I used to watch it or whatever." But then there's like, you know, the interplay. I have a close friend of mine who only watched like Attitude Era, like you know. Stone Cold, Kane, Undertaker, Rock, like that kind of stuff. That's yeah, it's pretty, pretty much, much him. Yeah, yeah. And I brought him back. Uh, so, like, he was, he and I, like, we'll schedule hangouts. And, and it happened to coincide with the Royal Rumble. And I was like, man, can we watch the Royal Rumble? Like, I know you're not a wrestling guy, but let's watch it. And, dude, that pay per view was, like, so much of a bummer. Because it was like, yeah. And he's like, this is and, hey, we, we like, had. We had COVID too. We were both like, <laughs> oh, no. the day before the bet, the day before the bet, the AFC Championship game. We're all on Zoom, isolated. You know, yeah. Like, yeah I, I don't yeah. know what's worse, COVID or the Royal Rumble that time. Our COVID was not bad in mine, especially. Yeah. I had almost yeah. no symptoms. Yeah, yeah. mine so. was pretty. Yeah, I so pretty I would say the time. Royal Rumble was definitely worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, but yeah, like, um, so he was like, a, you know, he's a real casual, like, not even a fan. Like, he only did it because I was like, can we watch yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, it was like kind of cool. And like, 
but it was such a bummer because it's like you know you want it's like somebody to enjoy the things you enjoy sometimes like if it's something that you're like i'm so passionate about but then i was then i said to him afterwards like would you ever indulge me and like watch like a couple of wrestling matches with me someday where like I pick them because like they're the best or something. That's my favorite um, shit in the world to do is yeah. open up people that aren't familiar and be like, all right, now what match am I going to pick? Right. Like, what are you going to do for somebody who does not care at all? It's like, you know, fake fighting, pretend, dumb, this, that, or whatever. And I'm like, it's so much more than that. It's, it's so cool. Um, but yeah, let's see. And then otherwise, um, other wrestlers that just come to mind, uh, always had a soft spot for CM Punk. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I actually saw I saw CM Punk's UFC debut in Cleveland. Oh wow! Uh, I did, yeah. And I was definitely on the Punk hype train, not thinking that he was going to be like the goat, but more like I wanted. I thought he was at least going to do something. And I remember, I'll never forget. Um, you know, I was uh, like, I, I went over to the show. I had to get a buddy to go with me. Nobody, none of my friends are really into the UFC, but I got you know, him to go with me. Even I was in the UFC at the time. I was pretty much Punk got me into the UFC. Funny enough. Interesting. But I was in the stands and as cult of personality hits and, you know, oh, my God, I was so psyched. This is amazing. It was the coolest moment ever. But then during the fight, you realize there's the divide between MMA fans and <laughs> wrestling fans. Yeah. Because yeah. MMA fans were like, fucking kill him. Fucking yeah. kill that fake wrestler. Beat the shit out of him. And I was just like, oh, my God. And like, this is not like a wrestling fan. This is awesome. There's none of that fun stuff. Yeah. It's like they're like, fucking kill him. Yeah. Him. <laughs> and he did. He did get murdered. Um. So yeah, so I love me some some uh, CM. We were Martin. at his first uh, Dynamite appearance this Milwaukee. year in Milwaukee. Yeah, yep. so oh he did Rampage on that Friday, and we were at the Dynamite the following Wednesday. Pretty bad show overall, but that was amazing. And then there was Dude, a that's great awesome, great yeah. Rampage match between uh, the Lucha Bros and Jurassic Express. And that feud well. he's got going with MJF is at least my oh, favorite thing in wrestling right now. Did yeah. you see the pro- Did you see the promo last night? I did. I did. AW is the only appointment television I've got. Now I don't think it's like I, I really. Uh, and I mean, I really enjoy it. It's not like it's like the number one show of all time, but it's the only wrestling show where I feel like, okay, I'm there's a really high likelihood I'm going to see something really good. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, a bunch of people that, you know, it's like on that weekly mm-hmm. schedule versus being like something that's just for pay-per-views. Um, yeah, dude, AEW is great right now. Yeah. And oh, it actually got oh. me back into wrestling. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. my, my soft spot for CM Punk. Um, I've, you know, I've gone through periods where I was like, man, this guy's maybe he's kind of a dick. Or like, <laughs> I didn't really like him or whatever, but I still love him. Like, it's just one, it's weird when somebody's that good you still are still captivated by him he got me into AEW because i was totally off of wrestling i wouldn't i cannot watch raw at all because it's the oh, same no. thing we've tried time. so we we it, had like it, a, a gimmick storyline story where we ha- had to stop covering AEW and start covering WWE and we timed it with Wrestlemania last year yeah and for him coming in cold I'm like dude this is not gonna be that great but right. let's just kind of slog through it and by it the end we weren't, hours. Even wa- we weren't even watching we just read recaps <laughs> yeah. and it's just and there's like, some good stuff in there sometimes, right. but you yeah. might get 45 good minutes in a three-hour show. And, like, like, you watch these last three Dynamites have been fucking stellar beginning to end, like, like all of them. Like, it, it it objectively cuts through your dinner time. Like, your dinner, like, you know, like, it totally interferes with that, for me at least. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which oh, absolutely, me. yeah. And it's so, so unsatisfying. Way. And it's yeah. never, like, you know what, even if, like, the worst AW show I'll see, like there'll at least be something good. Like even the most boring rampage where it's like, 
you know, it's like, okay, it's like, it's still, I mean, that, quality it's still good. Yeah. And it'll still be something, at least one interesting thing that'll happen, or at least there'll be something. But just WWE is just, there's so much, it's just so bloated. And there's all this stuff just keeps on going and going. Um, so yeah, I haven't been to a live show in a long time, but yeah, I used to go to ROH shows. Um, I, I, I went to three shows. Dynamites last year. Mm-hmm. He, That's so awesome. we, we went to Milwaukee mm-hmm. and they were in Cincy. And then I went down to Atlanta first week of December. So I've been to five dynamites now. What? Uh, That's so cool. I was at, I was at All In. That kind of is what started. You were at All In. What? <laughs> now I'm jealous. What? Yeah, That's crazy. Was, it's one of the best live event experiences I've ever had. Period. Music, That's sports, awesome. wrestling, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it was it's just a different else. level. But it's I'm a, a diehard New Japan fan as well. Um, they've kind of slacked off. Not sl- it just hasn't been as good since the pandemic. But yeah. I mean, I still love it, and they still have the best matches consistently. Absolutely, uh, I got to show you something real quick. So talking about Japanese wrestling, there's this cool magazine called Monthly Pure Resu. Oh that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yep. We tweet with them sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, this is one of their most recent issues. And you'll see there's a the first thing inside. Oh wow! That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. How'd you how'd you get that placed? That was awesome. They contacted me. They're like, you oh, know, it's really? cool. Like, you want to you want to add it in there? Like, That's Absolutely. sick. Yeah, we we've, we've engaged with them on Twitter definitely. Very and cool there's a, there's another one is there's two accounts that are pretty similar. I share their stuff all because they just post a lot of just awesome Japanese wrestling clips. Yeah. So. Dude, Japanese wrestling is one of those things I really want to get into at some point. Like 90s Japanese wrestling. Oh. I don't know anything about it. Honestly. Oh. I, I know like a few names. If like, you like, you, know. like, you dial into some 90s All Japan, I got recommendations for days. <laughs> I'm, I'm all about that. Like, cause, like 90s Japanese wrestling is one where it's like, I've always like heard so many names. Like I've heard Misawa, about Kawada, Kobashi, yeah, yeah, and like I've you know uh, Hayabusa was he eighties or nineties? He was nineties as well. He was nineties, yeah. yeah. Um, like all those dudes, like I would love to watch some of their stuff, but I just never, you know, it's like one of those things where I could just kind of never. Someday I'm gonna go through like a Japanese wrestling phase, I think. Yeah, I I, yeah. I can help you out with that for sure, but. Uh, awesome. Hey, this was outstanding. Let's, oh, my uh, God. We're so close together. Maybe we could watch well, wrestling together sometime. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. I have uh, two kids, which means I have to, like, book everything out. But yeah. as long as I can book everything out and be like, okay, everything set in place, I would definitely be down. Yeah, and I've got, another, I've got a good friend up there as well. Yeah. So we're, we're around. Too, yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Absolutely, dude. Yeah, I know. And Columbus is awesome. And you know what's Here's a cool fact about Columbus is that there's actually, I think, five different places you can play NBA Jam in Columbus. Like, I keep an eye out for it wherever I go. And yeah, I went over yeah. to this, like, there's, like, this little, um, not little. It's, in fact, it's the opposite of little. It's, like, a very Dave & Buster-style, like, family entertainment center-style place mm-hmm. um, that opened up near me. Um, and they have, like, no, it's all, like, redemption games, current stuff, whatnot. And they have no classic games except for one, and it's NBA Jam. And it's just like, ah, oh, nice. I love it. Like, no Street Fighter, no Pac-Man, no nothing, but they've got NBA Jam. Rayon, why don't you plug uh, plug your books, anything else, and uh, your social, uh, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, I am at NBA Jam Book on Twitter and on Instagram. Don't post nearly as much on Instagram as I do on Twitter. Um, you can find the NBA Jam Book on Amazon. 
or from bossfightbooks.com directly if you want to support them. Um, otherwise, I'm excited about the NBA Jam doc coming out at some point. Have you guys heard about this? No. No, no not the, at all. The book is going to be adapted into a movie. I'm going to drop a link into the chat so you can be like, this is a real thing. And not wow, just no, that's right amazing. Now. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, that is so cool. That's exciting. Yeah, let me let me let me throw the link in over here. So yeah, um, very psyched about that. It's going to be a little while while away from now, um, but the director uh, did the Carter Effect about Vince Carter, which was on Netflix not so long ago. Um, so it's going to be a movie about NBA Jam. It's going to be based on the book to some degree. So I'm super excited about that. Um, so keep an eye out for it. And by keep an eye out, keep it in the back of your mind because it won't be out for a few years, but it'll be out at some point. Yeah, which will be exciting. Um, but yeah, otherwise I'm out on on the on the old internet. If, I'm, if you ever want to uh, contact me for like an autographed uh, copy of the book, I get have those two. Not you know you can't hear it in, uh, in audio form, but I got extra copies back over there. Um, yeah, at NBA Jam Book, and yeah, or just Google NBA Jam Book. Pretty easy to find. And I think that is a perfect note to end on here. Rayon, mm. thank you so yeah, much man. again. Um, this was awesome. And yes, was. just the power of Twitter, you know, just you know, reaching out to you. And I mean, hey, we're two hours apart. And uh, I think we're uh, we're fast friends here. So yeah, I love it. I dig it, dude. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast. Yeah, Absolutely. thanks for coming on. It's uh, our pleasure.